Listener Production. You thought it was cocaine? Nope. In more than a third of cases, it was actually something else. Perhaps it was MDMA you thought you had, but in a third of cases, it was also something else. These are just some of the results from the first ever fixed location drug testing site in Canberra. There's a couple of analysts working there who'll uh, take samples of your your drugs. Uh, They'll run them through the machines. You'll learn about the identity, maybe depending on the tests you run, the purity, etc. So it's really interesting to start getting these results from Canberra. This is an issue I've been following closely for years. I've even travelled to see it in action in Switzerland They've been doing it for 30 years there. They have these fixed location sites in their main cities and they also do it at some big festivals and clubs. And we have seen it trialled at a Canberra music festival, but this is the first time in Australia where we've tried out this fixed site model where there's an office in the middle of town that you can walk into during set opening hours and have drugs tested in a lab. We detected cocaine in um, three of the five samples submitted, but the levels of purity for cocaine was extremely low. So we're one month into a six-month trial of the site in Canberra CBD, and in this episode, we'll find out what they found in the 58 samples they took and how people reacted when they got the results. That is our briefing in just a moment. First, today's headlines. It's Tuesday, the 30th of August. NASA's Artemis One rocket launch had its countdown cancelled overnight due to an engine bleed in one of four engines. We don't launch until it's right. And in fact, uh, they've got a problem with the uh, gases going on the engine bleed on one engine. Uh, You can't go. Well, that makes sense to me. That's the NASA administrator, Bill Nelson. Uh, Artemis 1 is part of a new space push. Um, Its mission is to propel a capsule into orbit around the moon. And it could relaunch as soon as Friday if all the repairs go to plan. NASA plans to send four astronauts around the moon in 2024 and land on the moon by 2025. Prepare for the next pandemic or get a repeat of the coronavirus. That's what the CSIRO are saying in a new report urging the government to keep tabs on several viral groups from now on or risk missing the signs of a future outbreak. There are things like developing cell culture models that can be used for the characterising multiple viruses so that we are prepared for whatever that disease X might be. Co-author Dr Michelle Baker there. According to the report from the government science agency, there are six key focus areas, including biosurveillance, starting clinical trials early and creating vaccines locally. Yeah, I guess we've learned so much um, from the coronavirus that we are already in a much better position to deal with the next pandemic. But um, interesting to hear Michelle Baker there saying that one of the things we, we could do on top of all the measures we have to deal with it once they're here is actually watch out for what might be next. The Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, is digging in on the government's commitment to stage three tax cuts for high income earners. We made a decision uh, that we would stand by uh, that uh, legislation rather than relitigate it. So this plan means that Australians earning between 45000 and 200000 would pay the same tax rate, 30%, instead of those people who were paying 37%, people over 120. So basically it means 70% of the benefits of this tax cut will go to the 20% highest income earners. And um, calculation from the Australia Institute uh, says that someone on $200,000 will get a $9,000 tax cut. 
It'll cost the budget a whopping $243 billion. And now even Liberal backbencher Russell Broadbent has joined the growing chorus of people saying we just can't afford it at the moment. Yeah, so Annika, these cuts um, were actually a policy from the previous government that Labor backed, but now there are continuing calls for Albanese to drop these tax cuts, but he doesn't want to because he doesn't want to break an election promise. What do you think is going to happen here? Do you think he'll tough it out? I do. Look, the reason it passed is we alluded that it was stage three. There were stage one and two parts to this, and it was tied together. Now, those early stages did deliver tax cuts to people on lower incomes, uh, and I guess that's the way the government managed to get it through. I think that Anthony Albanese won't make the same mistake as Bill Shorten made. Now, he went in promising major reforms, major economic shake-ups, and he didn't quite get there at that last election. We know Anthony Albanese's played it really, really safe. And cancelling these tax cuts might have cost him the election. So I think that he's taking a similar role as he took with emissions. This is what we took. We're not going to go any further because this is what got us elected and that was our mandate. And I actually think as far as politics goes, he might actually win this one. And former Australian of the Year Grace Tame says the man who sexually abused her as a schoolgirl is still targeting her with open threats and harassment. In one tweet, he allegedly wrote, at last I shall come for, and then quoted Grace Tame's old email address. Tame reported the tweets he made to the police earlier this year, but says our reactive justice system is too slow and nothing has changed. Nicholas Bester was jailed in 2010 for abusing Tame when he was 58 and she was 15. He was in prison for one year and nine months. And if that story has brought up any concerns for you, you can get help at 1-800-RESPECT. The highly anticipated Chris Dawson verdict will be handed down by the judge today following a two-month-long trial and years of attention due to the Teacher's Pet podcast series. So the former Sydney school teacher has been in court for the alleged murder of his wife, Lynette, and the Crown alleges that the 74-year-old was motivated by a desire to have an unfettered relationship with their teenage babysitter. He has pled not guilty and we'll find out what the verdict is at 10am Eastern Standard Time. All right, in just a moment, what was in the drugs? The Canberra pill testing trial. So the results are in for the first month of the drug testing clinic in Canberra, which opened in July. 58 samples were brought in and tested and 18 people threw their drugs in the bin when they found out what was actually in their drugs as opposed to what they thought they were buying. Yeah, very interesting results. Let's get the full story with Malcolm McLeod. He's a chemist at the Australian National University and he's the chemistry lead for CanTest and Pill Testing Australia, two of the organisations that have made this trial possible. Malcolm, thank you for joining us. How much lobbying and work has actually gone into making this whole thing happen? Well, it's been a pretty long, uh, long-term long affair. So I, I guess we started back in 2018 with the first uh, trial at festivals, uh, another one in 2019. And on the basis of that, we've managed to get uh, the ACT government to develop a, a policy now for festival testing. And on the back of that, we kind of uh, thought, well, what's the next step? And, and obviously, it's to do more than just get one day of testing at a festival. Uh, we wanted uh, to, to try and get pill testing available to the wider community. So practically, how does it work? People show up with one pill to get it tested. Is 
there any sort of trust level that, you know, the police won't be there? How does it work in terms of communicating this message to drug users? There's a general agreement that people entering the, the service will be, uh, you know, okay, they, they won't be targeted. The service itself is, um, it's a health and drug checking service. So when you arrive at the service, there is a waiver that, that you sign. But uh, other than that, it's, it's all confidential. We don't collect your data, uh, name or phone number or anything like that. Uh, so uh, it's confidential service. So you come in, um, you can present up to at the moment up to five uh, samples for analysis. After maybe a little, little wait, you'll uh, head up to the, to the testing uh, room. Uh, and there's a couple of analysts working there who'll uh, take samples of your, your drugs. Uh, they'll run them through the machines. You'll learn about the identity, maybe depending on the tests you run, the purity, et cetera, and that'll be conveyed to you. As well as that, there's a harm reduction worker, someone who's knowledgeable about drugs, who will be there with you when you receive the results. And they'll be able to talk to you about uh, the findings, explain things, maybe give you some tips for how to keep safe and so on. Is there any examples where they're confiscated, even if they find out that they're not what they've been sold? Are they allowed to walk out of there and take them? So we won't confiscate samples. Uh, that's not our business. So it is possible that uh, we will we will analyse something and it, it won't be what uh, people uh, expected and um, sure, they can take it away. Of course, uh, we don't really know what uh, the end result of that is, whether they... Uh, what they do with that that substance. Hopefully, uh, hopefully they're they're sensible with it and they're a bit more informed about about what they've got. Of course, if you choose to discard a substance, we can take care of that for you. So we we have the ability to receive discarded samples and you know get rid of them. So uh, that's also an option. Okay, so it's obviously a novel concept in Australia, and it's a bit of a leap of faith for people to walk in and I guess to know that yeah they won't get arrested on the way in or you know that it's all carried out as you say in a kind of anonymous way. So you've put out the first month of results. 58 samples came in in total. Were you happy with that level of take-up? There was more people uh, into the service than that. So uh, I think it was uh, 70 uh, groups uh, or people had consultations, if you like. Uh, But we did test 58 samples uh, in the first month. And um, yeah, that's okay. I mean, I think that'll grow. Obviously, in the first month, not many people know much about the service. So we had a few of the braver... um, folk come in and see how it worked and all the rest of it. But now I think the word's out and uh, we'll get larger numbers coming through. All right. So let's get into the results. So um, if you could step through them sort of kind of quickly for each of the main categories of illicit drugs, MDMA, cocaine, ketamine, methamphetamine, heroin. Sure. Uh, Let me start with MDMA. 19 of the samples were expected to be MDMA and we we detected MDMA in 13 of those. Hmm. And the purities uh, vary quite a lot. So, you know, for capsules, um, we found MDMA in, in four of seven capsules and the, and the purity was 23 to 64%. This is, uh, I'm getting a bit technical here, Tom, but this yeah. is free base. So 64% is actually quite pure, I guess. Um, uh, the maximum's uh, 84%. The crystals, um, three out of three were MDMA and the purities were 6 to 73%. So, so the purities uh, vary depending on the type of sample you present for MDMA. Yeah, but as you said just a moment ago, of the 19 um, samples people thought were MDMA, only 13 were. So nearly a third weren't. That's pretty interesting. I don't think that's a surprise in uh, an unregulated drug market. Sometimes you'll you'll have pills with, with nothing in them. <laughs> Sometimes there'll be some substitution. So, so we did find, you know, some MDMA samples that had caffeine or other sort of stimulant type drugs, caffeine type drugs. So that's going to happen. 
So ketamine, um, five out of seven samples were, were, were ketamine. We did find one with um, which appeared to be a cocaine sample, which was interesting. Um, it had lignocaine and, and, and cocaine. And another one uh, had a ketamine derivative called fluorexetamine. And this is a really unusual drug. Uh, there's almost nothing known about this compound in the scientific literature. It's what's uh, called you know, a, a research chemical. Mm. Uh, so it's uh, probably sold online and uh, it's related to ketamine, but obviously it's a different substance. So we know almost nothing about its uh, safety or, or, or even its, its effects on, on people. So that was an interesting one. Uh, heroin, you know, we're, we're seeing heroin uh, samples in the service. Uh, so that's something we never saw in a festival environment, right? So six out of six heroin samples contained heroin, and the, the purities there range from 31 to 63%. We've done a bit of testing of samples to see if there's any fentanyl. You would have heard on, I think, last Monday, there was the, the news that back in December, Border Force had inse- intercepted you know, 11 kilograms of, of fentanyl in Melbourne. So we, we test heroin samples for, for fentanyl derivatives just to, to make sure there's none in there, and we haven't detected any to date. So that's great. Uh, methamphetamine, three out of four samples contain meth, and the purity was 42 to 83%, I guess, um, fairly high. There was one sample that appeared to be sugar, so um, bad luck there. Cocaine, we detected cocaine in um, three of the five samples submitted, but the levels of purity for cocaine was extremely low, 27% or less. So the cocaine seems to be cut a lot with things like uh, lignocaine, things like caffeine, and so on. So those samples are a bit messier. Okay, tell us how people reacted. I mean, imagine in, in the case of those people who thought they had cocaine and potentially paid the, the street price, which is around $300 a gram, they were quite disappointed. But I guess back to the real reason for doing this, it's about making people safer. So when they got these very mixed results about what they thought they had, what did they do? It will vary. Different clients will do different things. I mean, we had discards, um, but in others not. So I think in the 58 samples that we analysed across the board, uh, we had 18 uh, samples discarded. Uh, So that's about 30%. I expect that number, you know, this is very early days for our service. So that number might bounce around uh, as we sort of move forward. But we had quite a, a high level of discarded samples. So that's telling you that when people get a result and maybe it's unexpected, there's other things in there or it's not what you expected, then a fair proportion of people are throwing away those uh, unexpected substances. So, you know, there's one measure of of the response, I guess. We're told this is an evidence-based system, which is great, but I just want to drill down into some of that evidence, some of that research around, you've already touched on how many people discard drugs, but whether this just reduces harm or whether it actually has some effect on long-term drug use and I guess deterring people from taking drugs if they're not getting what they're buying. I mean you touched on discards again I guess that's that's an obvious area where people are you know with unexpected substances they're throwing them away but there's certainly some evidence in Australia from uh, the festival pilots that we ran in 2019. This was independently evaluated uh, by a team from the Australian National University Certainly, some of the findings were that people, you know, often changed their um, intended behaviour after they'd they'd learned a little more about the substances. You know, in some cases, that meant they'd use it use it less than they were intending. Another important outcome was, you know, the issue of where they would uh, sort of seek uh, information about the drugs that they were intending to use. Uh, and there was a big shift there from, you know, talking to their friends or talking to their dealers who probably have have limited information 
to, you know, visiting a drug checking service or a pill testing service uh, and getting their substance analysed and, and talking to people who, who really know uh, their business. So there's going to be a proportion of people who, who are going to take their substance no matter what you do or tell them. But there will also be a fairly sizable group, I'd suggest, who are going to get their drugs checked and, and maybe use that information wisely to change their behaviour, to do something different. And Malcolm, where do you think this goes from here? Um, clearly, you and Dr. David Caldicott and others have worked for years to get this trial up, the fixed site we've been talking about, the festival uh, testing as well, but it's not happening anywhere else in Australia, even though it's been going on in, in Europe for years. And I think the obvious sensitivity is that many people feel that it can normalise drug use, particularly when you give someone the results and say, hey, this is exactly what you thought it was, no nasty surprises and a reasonable level of purity, that can be seen as an encouragement by some people. So where do you think this whole discussion and I guess this data that's now coming into that discussion, where is it going to go from here? And how, how big are the chances that this gets rolled out in other states? Yeah, so, so we've probably got to talk a, a little long term here. So again, uh, this is a six-month pilot, and uh, we're not sure, uh, I guess, uh, what's going to happen at the end of that six months. Obviously, we hope that uh, the results are positive and, and that the ACT government continues uh, with that uh, service, but we'll we'll have to wait and see on that. Um, once again, uh, the service is getting evaluated as we operate. So if you come into the service, you're actually invited to participate in that evaluation. Uh, there's some questionnaires before and after. All that data is going to get analysed to, to try and work out, you know, did the service uh, work? Did it have the intended effect of potentially reducing the harms of drug use? That's ongoing. You're right, it's only the ACT at this stage, um, but I'm sure that other jurisdictions are looking at this really closely. For example, let's take New South Wales, that the coronial inquest into festival deaths um, recommended that pill testing be established at festivals and the ICE inquiry that they had also recommended uh, drug checking. There's a range of uh, pressures, I guess, in different jurisdictions that will come into play. And, you know, those different jurisdictions around the country are going to have to uh, think about this issue in time as well. And I suspect that in some of them, they'll see the, some of the positives and, and they may give it a try themselves. That was Associate Professor Malcolm McLeod from the Australian National University. He's the chemistry lead on uh, this whole testing site which is run by CanTest and Pill Testing Australia. What do you think of that, Annika? Yeah, it's obviously something that there's great evidence on, but I guess it's so hard to legislate on public health issues like this, Tom, because you've got the users' rights. You've also got society's greater rights and what this can cause. And laws also work when there's a deterrent element. So you've got to have them sit consistently with broader drug laws, don't you? Yeah, and I guess in Canberra they are working on both. So they're looking at these safety measures, but they are also changing their drug laws. So there's less of a criminal focus on people possessing small amounts. So it really seems like, you know, the ACT is the only jurisdiction really making any kind of progress or trying out something different in this space. Tomorrow on The Briefing, will the teal wave spread from the federal election to the state elections. Listener.